Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer 5 Star Project. We've interrupted our previously scheduled AEW match of the week to talk about an AEW 5 star match that happened last week. Yes, it's your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorca Mullen, and with you as always is your other co-host, Simon Cross. So Simon, what AEW match has supplanted what was supposed to be our AEW match of the week? It is a world tag team title match between the challengers, two-thirds of Death Triangle, Ray Phoenix, and Pac, taking on the Young Bucks. The newly heel-turned Young Bucks, and that is the overriding story of this match. This is the establishing of what a heel Young Bucks tag team is going to look like in AEW for the foreseeable future. And whilst it did also ultimately telegraphed that they would not be losing those belts with the onlooking challengers in the crowd. Mm. It was a clear placing of setting up of, okay, this is what the new heel version of the Young Bucks look like, who are going to be carrying the tag titles going up forward, and how the matches are going to be different and similar to what we saw like with their previous five-star match that saw them win the tag team titles only a few months ago, where they were the plucky babyfaces against FTR. It's a weird one as well, because it's made one of the hottest teams, I think, in recent AEW history. As hot as you could tell from, obviously, the attendance that you have in these these times in Ray Phoenix and Pac. It's kind of made them an afterthought, which is really annoying, because, obviously, Ray Phoenix is getting so much hype behind him right now. He's the hot thing. If if nothing else, just to get the tag titles away from this storyline, which... I'm glad this has happened, the heel turn, because the wishy-washiness beforehand it's, it, and this like drama stuff, they really overdid it and it was doing my head in. There's shades of grey and then there's character inconsistency. Yeah. And confusion. I think they've always made clear that the Young Bucks are naturally assholes. That maybe all of the elites are naturally assholes if they call themselves the elites, with the possible exception of the man who maybe will be set up to finally vanquish the elite later on down the line. Do you reckon it's because they like they celebrate like their wealth and go, oh, look how cool we are and stuff like that. And uh, we as British people are just like, not, not about that life. But I think you know, the million dollar man wasn't exactly getting cheered for being a strong capitalist. No. It's not like it's not like Americans inherently love someone because they're successful. That points to a larger thing about the elite and why they became successful was their proof that you can thrive and prosper outside of the WWE bubble. And that's what the whole thing about the Young Bucks were from their time in PWG was just like we make shit tons of money from t-shirt sales and we don't need Vince's money to be well off. And that really was the whole basis of the elite, to make successes of themselves outside of the WWE machine. But you can easily point... The way that they do that is to point out how successful they are. And then if you point out your success, very soon you stop being the plucky underdog and become the rich asshole. Nouveau riche. That's what the Young Bucks are. They're nouveau riche. Well, the, yeah, the difference between them and the Million Dollar Man is it's earned wealth rather than generational wealth as well, like, in terms of like the presentation of the characters. 
Mm. They're great wrestlers. The characters they present, I, I was never especially warm to at any point. I do think they are better natural heels than they are baby faces as workers. Every time I've seen them do babyface things, it's... Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, they've always been able to do the plucky babyface thing almost within the tag team formula itself. Masters of the tag team psychology, that's how they present themselves. Obviously, you can see flaws in some of their stuff in the past, especially if you're another practitioner of the tag team psychology (laughs) and you have glasses and a Kentucky accent. You can find plenty of flaws in them. But this is really PWG Young Bucks, right down to them bringing back the back rakes. The Young Bucks that we've only seen once before in the Five Star Project when they were teaming with Adam Cole in PWG against Ricochet, Will Ospreay and Matt Seidel. And that was the one that really put them on the map. They'd always been a slight subversive version of the the Rockers' Rock and Roll Express formula in a modern context. But PWG was when they became, as some people describe, like the Deadpool of pro wrestling. Mm. Shattering the fourth wall, being obnoxious, nerdy, or telling people to suck it, <laughs> ripping off the... They were the ones that really pushed the, the, the Bullet Club as not just a Gaijin parody, but essentially... Uh, a pro wrestling heel parody. Yeah. Seems when the Young Bucks joined the Bullet Club, especially then when Kenny Omega took over and they became the elite within it, what the Bullet Club became at that point sort of reflected the Young Bucks' ideology of of winking, self-referential humour. You know, arguably self-indulgent. There's one thing I've always noticed about the Young Bucks is even when they're heels... They kick out of very, very big moves. Yeah, yeah. In this match, I think you get Matt gets hit with some insane combo and still manages to kick out instead of them having Nick Jackson bail them or pull out the referee or anything like that. Mm. Thankfully, the Black Arrow was protected. Uh, but that's like a really well-protected finisher anyway. One of the few ones left. It's... Do you know what? Their place within the storyline, they're, they're going to be... I don't see... They're, 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 they're just for a long become, run. Uh, yeah, they're just going to become a prop in the Kenny thing, though. I think I don't. Oh, see... I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think they'll be their own story within a large narrative, just like there are multiple feuds within the Pinnacle Inner Circle storyline. Mm. I think there are going to be multiple shoots off version of the elites. I'll be curious to see if and when Cody Rhodes gets involved in them as well. There's always been that sense with the elite that all of them are kind of dickheads. And that maybe that's why Hangman Page didn't work with them because he wasn't a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, but and and now Hangman's hanging out with, let's face it, the the most adorable sweethearts in professional wrestling in the Dark Order. It's weird there, like from from their initial beginning to the Exalted One being Brody to now. It's like such a strange journey they've been on, obviously due to extenuating circumstances. But they're they're just a great big bunch of friends and it's awesome. And I love it. And they're perfect foils for Hangman because they're just... We haven't talked much about the match. Let's talk about the match. So there is one moment which I knew... I I am going to jump around all over a bit with this, I feel. Mainly because... I agree with your point. It's a table setting match per se. So it's whilst the wrestling is good, it's not. It's not about the wrestling, if that makes sense. It's about presenting, as you said, the young bucks are now our souls. Look at them be our souls, which is, again makes me feel a bit sad for uh, Phoenix and Pack because Death Triangle deserved better than that. They were like 
building momentum. They're like a hot thing. I think that can be a problem within AEW that they'll have momentum behind loads of people. And especially since they make a point about wins and loss records being important. I mean, Phoenix has now lost to Kenny Omega and lost to the Young Bucks. So how do you keep him hot when you have to have him lose? It's difficult. I mean, it's weird that they inserted Puck into this because this seems naturally one for the Lucha Brothers. Oh, yeah, but that that's thing, That's the whole thing. Again, Penta's done that thing with Cody where he should have beat Cody. And, yeah, it just seems a bit higgledy-piggledy sometimes. And I think people are afterthoughts as a result. And I, I fear the tag belts being a bit of an afterthought. It, there's being an afterthought in AEW and there's being an afterthought in WWE. Oh, yeah, they are markedly different. They're still yeah. given stuff to do, but their position... It's difficult. It's very difficult. There's no clear tiering yet of the elites, no pun intended, of the top tier. It's like, you know, when you look at how precise it is in New Japan or in all the Japanese promotions, there's clear tiering of where people are. In AEW, mm. it's a bit more blurred between them, especially, which is strange when you consider they've got win-loss records, so that should make it more clear who's what. It's like uh, SCU number one contenders. That kind of shocks me because I don't recall them winning anything big recently but i don't watch dark or elevation so i don't know on that front well th- this this is like their their padder shows yeah, for their yeah. win loss records uh which Britt baker is actually making very was sort of highlighting by saying okay well i'm the most relevant woman in this division yet i'm not the number one contender so i'll go to your shows and i'll win matches and i'll pad my record so so they are self-referential with it Whilst they've got dark and elevation, it'll obviously suit them. Uh, logically, down the line, one of those becomes an actual television show. We're not talking about the match. Uh, major st- <laughs> I know, I know. But, but again, I don't think this is about the match. This match isn't about the match. The match is that's, still that's my what, point. You, what you expect from AEW, uh, especially matches involving yeah. Ray Phoenix and the Young Bucks and Pac. They're, it's all action, intricate moves... Thigh slapping. Although, actually, I'll give Puck his credit. Sometimes he just kicks people in the chest instead of relying on slapping his thighs to make a sound <laughs> with his kick pads. Oh. Puck is a fascinating... Let's talk a bit about Puck. He was perceived as a key figure within AEW. He was pushed strong. He was put over Kenny Omega. He's been presented from the start as someone who is a viable AEW champion. Mm. And at the same time, he's not quite where they... It's not top priority for him to be the champ, but they want to keep him strong. And I think one of the things that's really admirable about Puck is how his size does not look or seem like an disadvantage to him. That he doesn't look like he should be intimidated if he's in the ring with a Brian Cage or a Luchasaurus. That Partly because he's got an insanely buff physique anyway. He is a genetic freak. So whatever height disadvantages it might be, Seamy has his just size and his agility and his utter ruthlessness does not make it seem like he's at a disadvantage whatsoever. Like you, if you brought Brock Lesnar into AEW, you could program Puck against him, and I don't think he'd look that out of place. So that's how strong he looks, and he's really looked since he came back to WWE in his heel incarnation, which is what we've had since then. I mean, this is the first time I can remember a Puck match where he's ostensibly the babyface for a long time, mm. except arguably in, during some of that Eddie Kingston feud. He's more like a tweener, really, at this stage. Yeah, they're like... 
they're, they're dickheads to the dickheads, yeah. <laughs> which which get them cheers, but they're not. They're not. Yeah, white. you put you put them in. Well, I mean, they won the the title shot through beating Jungle Boy in a battle royal uh, at the mm. end, and Puck will look great as a heel against Jungle Boy. Yeah, utterly convincing in that yeah. regards. You at any moment you can flick the switch on him. Uh, I think that's their plan, and I think that w- was their plan. But they lost eight months of Pack during yeah COVID. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> One thing about Pack that's amazing as well is how much more confident he is in himself over time. Because I remember listening to the Colt Cabana podcast that he did. I think that was even before he'd signed with WWE, maybe. And I remember seeing the Pack of that Ring of Honor show in two thousand and seven. And you could see this guy who could physically do such spectacular stuff. And his physique was already impressive. He hadn't yet put on as much muscle as he has now. Like when I saw him a few years down the line at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But he was already he was always looked great physique-wise. Which again, helps offlay any concerns you have about their heights. And the one thing he had against him was he struggled with confidence. To the point that Colt Cabana finished the interview and then Puck felt like he could say about how uncomfortable he felt with things like mic work and everything. And it always amazed me at that time when it was like you were seeing guys like him and the Amazing Red and all these other guys doing spectacular high-flying moves. But then when you put a microphone in front of them, they're like a deer in the headlights. And it's like, how can you be Mm. that confident that you're not going to kill yourself physically, but you then get so nervous about just... Because it's a different way of exposing yourself emotionally. Oh, yes. Massively. And, and and challenging yourself intellectually, that you may not be as confident in your intellect and your ability to think and speak on your feet than you would be actually move on your real feet, mm. <laughs> as it were. From my perspective, obviously I didn't see a lot of him pre-WWE. Watching him as King Neville, oh. Well, he was like the Brock Lesnar of the Cruiserweights. Yeah, and he went and he went from like just this guy wearing a cape and oh I'm a superhero because I do flips to like just this mean despicable Game of Thrones esque medieval king just in the cruiserweight division and it was mint. He's as good as Ricochet or anyone like that, and and I think the strikes really help him as well. I think as time goes on, he might have to restrict his eye flying more, but I think his striking will help him. And as Jim Ross points out in commentary, he does have a lot of that dynamite kid energy to him, the nastiness of it. Yeah. But he's actually more spectacular than what the dynamite kid was able to do back then as well. But he's got a lot of that. And, and like you said, he, he looks strong. He can do power, he can do striking, he can do high flying. The deadlift Germans yeah. he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he holds Nick Jackson in place for ages, I think, at one point in this match. But he can also do the bouncing mm. off the ropes. He's a great foil for someone like Kenny Omega as well. He rest, he can wrestle the Kenny Omega style probably as well as anyone outside of Kenny Omega, I suppose. Yeah. And he also, at the start of the match, he does some good mat wrestling with Matt Jackson. But because what, one other thing about him taking the place of Pentagon, or El Penta Cio Miedo, is they then removed the theme that had always been the overriding aspect of every Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros match, which was these guys are mirror images to each other. Even to the point that, yeah. like we said, during the Escala de Muertes uh, match, they got five and a quarter stars on the second AEW show, I think it was. Second or third. Mm. The Matt Jackson is to El Penta and Nick Jackson is to Phoenix. And so when Phoenix and Nick Jackson pair up in this match, there is more of the spectacular... That's where the most spectacular stuff happens. I think the Young Bucks have slowed things down a lot in recent years. 
they made a point of look at us doing the traditional heel beatdown work. <laughs> Matt hammed it up so expertly when he ta- when he was like acting as the fake hot tag for. Uh, that for is bag. them ripping off a Super Dragon spot that the Excalibur has to call out because I remember watching a match with Excalibur and Super Dragon against Kevin Steen and El Generico, which is what they stole that spot from, where Super ah. Dragon knocked Kevin Steen off the apron when El Generico was crawling over to do the hot tag. He then reaches his hand out pretending that he's Kevin Steen. So Generico tags him in. He comes in and does the Robert Gibson fist up in the air looking to the crowd cheering and then just starts stomping on El Generico. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a shout out to, again to the one of their PWG brethren, their former Mount Rushmore stable mates as well. That was Excalibur was in that match. So he wasn't going to not take the Super Dragon shout out. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, my big problem with this is I don't see five stars in this match at all. I see a stro- rock solid four stars in this match because it's all about setting up character. They, I don't think they were kicked into a final gear to push it beyond. Yeah, because because yeah. there was so much more slower work in the middle portion of the match to establish. Like we said, so much of this is character establishment, and that's fine, and that does its job. But that's not what a five-star match is about. A five-star match is a payoff to all this down the road. The five-star match of the Young Bucks tag team title run is when they lose their belts to whoever it is they're going to lose them to. And that's where you've got all this lot, this established elements of the heel work that we've seen from this match and will continue to see when they take on SCU and retire them, which is obviously one of the stories they're going to go with because I am aware that SCU was saying the next match they lose, they're going to retire. When they go up against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, when they go up against Jurassic, Jurassic Express. Express, sorry, yes, when they go up against the best friends, which I think a lot of people will expect that to be the one that they lose the belts to. Yeah, maybe they could get away with it in like a wacky thing. If I was to guess, they're either losing it to the Super Smash Brothers, or they're losing it to John Silver and Alex Reynolds. That's my guess. Who they're going oh, to? Oh, Johnny Hungy! I'd love. That's to my see guess. That. If you'd have me bet. Today on who they're going to lose those tag titles to. I would like them to hold on to the the tag titles long enough that FTR are done with the pinnacle in a circle feud. That obviously first they can defend it against Pride, Proud and Powerful, but also a heel Young Bucks against a heelish, maybe closer to the face version of the team. FTR could be fun. I'm now just wondering, they really should check when Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa's contracts expire. Because if they could get those guys into an AEW and have them do a run in the tag division, that would be insane. So, I mean, there's potential. There's like, well, let's not talk about free agents because we'll be here Well, for let's ages, talk about the match. Especially after the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. But, do you know, like, this is my point, though. The fact we keep going off track just shows that this this is just set up. And I agree with your point that this, this is gra- a great TV yeah. match. It serves its purpose. But you're right, it's not the blow-off. It's not five stars. And there was a gear missing, and it sort of did ebb and flow. And I, I fully agree with you. Like, it's just, it's it's, it's great TV. It's five-star character work. Maybe not five-star, but it's, it's high four-star character work. Yeah. I think it's because we know there's more that could come out of them. It's a one of, I just imagine if this had been in front of a full crowd in a 5,000-seater arena, again, like the Young Bucks FTR match could have been even more with that. Like, you know, Austin Gunn and everyone else around them are, are doing their best. But there will always be... And they tried, a, they tried a fun little chant with the Those Are Fake at the Dior boots. Now, are they yeah. Dior or are they Nike? Because there's Dior on the soles, but there's Nike swishes. 
on them. It could be a collab that they're alluding Maybe. to, because sometimes designers and uh, sneaker people do do Maybe. collabs. It's like how Maybe. rappers do collabs with like Nike and. Look at you with the Argo collab. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be with it, Simon, but then they changed what it was, and now what I'm with isn't it. What it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. <laughs> Again, I think one day we're going to have to <laughs> compile what are the top ten Simpsons lines that sum up life. That's got to be one of them. That's in there. That That's be up in there. Old Man lot. Yells at Cloud. That's another one. <laughs> when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? I'm, I'm a white male. Wait, age between. <laughs> gum and nuts together at last. At last. <laughs> um, uh, we'll get. We'll, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. So this is this is the new new young bucks coming out with Don Callis as described by Tony Schiavone. That phlegm. <laughs> yep. What I love about Don, he obviously is biased towards his boys, but in terms of like. He will still give the other team props, and he'll he'll do it in a way where he's still because obviously he's an on he's on screen as uh, impacts like vice president, and he still sounds like a promoter yeah. as well. So it's it's really like he's he he's a dick, but he's right, which makes him more of a dick. It's brilliant. it's a lot of what makes Paul Heyman work so well when he will praise everyone that Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns is up against, but then point out. But you're up against Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. It's that yeah. really condescending form of being magnanimous, like a like football clubs allowing five other teams into their little league, but they can't get relegated from it. <laughs> I just wanted to escape that for <laughs> half an hour. Well, we're talking about heelish behaviour, you know. <laughs> well, yes, true, good point. Uh, <laughs> we do get one little sequence that was along the lines of mirror images of one another. When Puck and Matt Jackson are fighting on the apron. Amazing balance and positioning by Matt Jackson when he jumps over the ropes to the apron. And him and Puck are basically standing on the same part of the apron. So that makes it an even smaller area that his feet can land on to prevent him from falling. I think that's another factor with us talking about this match as well. Is we're seeing stuff that we know they can do. And it's like, how many times can we describe Ray Phoenix's like immense rope balance how work? many times can we point out that someone does an impressive destroyer even if this is one of the newer ones where it's a, a springboard off of a monkey flip attempt I had a thought about that the first time I saw this match and actually wanted to pick you up on that so do you reckon that is a direct response to bad bunnies nah none of these people nowadays need a reason to do a Canadian destroyer no yeah yeah but the fact they like added to an extra like bit of mustard Maybe. on it I guess it's that thing of if Bad Bunny can do a Destroyer, then what does it mean for anyone else to do a Destroyer? It's like when Shane McMahon was able to do the Van Terminator, suddenly it didn't seem so special that Rob Van Dam could do the Van Terminator. I get where you're coming from, but I don't think it's a deliberate... I don't think it was they saw Bad Bunny do it and they thought, we better think of something new. My guess is... I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the first time he's done that. It's just the first time I can remember seeing it. And the fact that I might have seen it in the past and not remembered it says something as well about the overabundance of these things. <laughs> that's kind of the point. Um, yeah, don't forget, we also time. get stereo reverse runners in this match as well. Oh, I, I immediately thought of you. That's what I want to happen. I want people to think about reverse <laughs> ra- about me when they think of reverse runners. 
you remember back in the day where someone would be on the second rope with their opponent down and they would do a flying nothing that would lead to the opponent, the other guy putting their boot up? Phoenix kind of has that with this one. He does a springboard flying nothing into a super kick. <laughs> but then we get, and again, a callback to back when they were not quite heels, but doing heelish things, because that was how the Escala de Muertes match ended. The, but it was with Penta. They rip off Phoenix's mask. I do like the idea, though, that then him covering his face means that he doesn't see the double super kick coming. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I didn't want him to just be rolled up with that, and thankfully he wasn't. And I, and I will say, like I said, Matt Jackson has never really stopped being a smarmy prick, but Nick Jackson is now a smarmy prick, and he's very good at being yeah. a smarmy prick. Like, at one point, he, when he comes in and does a, a slingshot face buster, which... Phoenix obviously has to bump by look going head first, and then he just looks at the camera and goes, Did you see that? He landed right on his <laughs> face. <laughs> Again, the the Deadpool element to the young bucks coming to the floor. Yeah. That's why he's my favourite young buck. I mean Penta used to be your favourite lucha, but now it is Phoenix. Who is the nick of the Lucha Brothers? It's di- it's it's different with Penta. There's a love that sort of transcends ability with me and Penta. I just love his weird, creepy. Well, now he's got a thing outside of Death Triangle as well, so I wonder if it will continue down this path of him being the singles guy and Puck and Phoenix being the tag team. I think I think either Phoenix or Puck actually would be good uh, given a run with the TNT title and they just have mm. awesome TV 10 to 15 minute TNT title matches every week or every other week on Dynamite. A John Cena style open challenge. Yeah, but the obviously John Cena's like the overwhelming overdog and everyone else is really the underdog to him. Whereas Phoenix, it yeah. would be more more along the Darby Allen side of things, where I think Pac would be presented more along the Cody Rhodes side of things. That they would probably be the favourite in most matches, whereas Darby Allen and Ray Phoenix would be seen more as underdogs. I would like to see Phoenix as well do more stuff with larger guys that aren't necessarily just going to be a springboard off of him. Like a phoenix against the lance archer could be an interesting feud oh or brian cage or brian cage yeah 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 actually a death triangle against team taz feud wouldn't be a bad idea yeah team taz are in a weird place a lot of teams are in a weird place in aw at the minute there's so many of them i don't get why they keep making more well i guess they feel like that means they can cons- you know subsume them all into one storyline one of the reasons I, I I think I've alluded to this previously is I think stables interacting with each other co- masks the lack of crowd a bit more. I think yeah. that's their game. I also think it probably is a good merch seller. I think you know people like to think like they're part of a club. So if there's a faction and you mm. can wear a Team Taz shirt or a you know you're not just wearing one guy's thing, you're like part of a gang that's why the nwo shirts were so popular that's why the bullet club shirts became yeah. so popular that's why los ingobernables shirts were so popular i wouldn't be surprised uh dx, DX as well yeah absolutely so i wouldn't be surprised if that's a contributing factor to it yeah but and in fairness they, they do have different purposes and they're different types i like the idea that team taz are more like a stable than they are a faction so it's more like the heenan family whereas the pinnacle yeah. are more like the four horsemen and so are the inner circle. And the elite are more like the NWO, where there's going to be a larger scale. They could end up expanding into like 10, 15, 20 members at this point. You never know. Uh, and the Dark Order are yeah. more along those. The Dark Order are like uh, Paul Jones's army or, or um, the, the Dungeon of Doom, an eccentric 
gimmicky. Group. Yeah. But then, I mean, would you call Death Triangle a faction, or would you just call them more a team? Yeah, a team, like, like the New Day or the Freebirds, or yeah, uh, yeah. The same with Jurassic Express. Same with Best Friends. Um, and they're well, a team. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because Orange Cassidy isn't a part of Best Friends. It's Best Friends and Orange Cassidy, isn't it? Well, now they have Chris Statman. He is a best friend, but he's not the tag team best friend. One thing I would like more with factions and stables as well is if they started to include women in them. Like, everyone keeps saying that that short, I can't remember her name now, woman that has sort of a judo background that just got signed. Layla Hirsch. Like, from the moment she started wrestling there, everyone said she'd be great on Team Taz. So I hope, Mm. maybe that works again more with stables where they're all under one manager's I mean, that's really what helped Anna Jay yeah. establish herself before her unfortunate Yeah, now Ty Conti as well. Is... Ty Conti. Yeah. So we sort of talked about a match, but we really we just made more about AEW. Uh, we, I don't know. We, we've been talking about ideas. We've had to cover AEW in different ways because they are the interesting thing to talk about, but doesn't really fit in with the ethos of what, let me tell you, something was supposed to be about, which was things taken out of the mm. current... Nor the five-star project. No. But... I think the reason we started talking about AEW as a whole... The five-star project to begin with was all about the archive, and now it's all about the present day. Mm. You know, we're not reflecting on something from 10, 15 years ago. We're reflecting on something that happened last week. Yeah. And we're a lot more in the moment, so I guess we are more likely to go on these sorts of tangents. Also, this match kind of represented AEW in a as a whole and like really great athleticism yeah everything that's good but all the underlying issues that they still have to resolve exactly but anyway that's not the last time we'll be talking about aew we will be talking about it next week assuming there's no more five star matches in the interim simon just to remind people what is the match we'll be talking about next week oh we are talking about the lights out and sanction match that took place on st patrick's day slam between dr brick breaker d m d and Thunder Rosa. Indeed. But in the interim, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times in this match I wanted to use the C word to describe Matt Jackson. <laughs> My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L A N at the end of Adrian, as in Adrian Neville. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to be said at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Repeat after me.